0: Welcome in listeners to a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. This is part one of a two-part series. We are joined by many guests today, joining us from what, have, what is my first festival here in New York. These are all participants of the 17th annual Frigid Fringe Festival, which is taking place February 15th through March 5th at the Crane Theater and under St. Mark's. You can get tickets and more information at frigid.nyc. But enough about that. We have a full house today. Joining us, we have writers and performers Kelly Taylor of Thank You X, Marissa Fleming of The Parentheses, Amy Enriquez of Lightweight, Flora Lee. Of SADC 1965, Luis Herrera of As I Eat the World, Rodney Brazil of Meaningless, and Will Clegg of Syncope. Everyone, good morning, welcome. I feel like I'm conducting a choir. Like (laughs) hello to you. Thank you. Hello, hello.
1: Good Good morning.
0: This is incredible and I, I I mentioned before we started that I'm so excited because this was one of my first festivals that I stumbled into and for the longest time I thought this was just kind of what I always assumed indie theater or off-off- off Broadway theater was which is like rolling around and you know in paint and just screaming and beating a drum but it actually is honestly storytelling at its finest. So with that, I would love to know more about all of your shows. Can I go ahead and start then with Kelly? Kelly, can you go ahead and start us off and tell us a little bit about your show? Thank you, X.
2: Yeah. So thank you, X. It's a coming of age story. It's about this young girl named Violet, and she takes you through the different stages of love and dating everything from her first crush to her first kiss. first time having sex but it kind of plays against those like different tropes of like this is how i was told it was going to be but like this is what it really was (laughs) um and it's just really fun
0: i love that marissa fleming how about you with parentheses the parentheses excuse me
3: no all good thank you um the parentheses is a Slice of Life, it's kind of a window um, into the lives and relationship of two women, Natalia and Natasha and Talia. Natalia is their celebrity couple name, I suppose. But it's, I I think, really an exploration of what ifs and seeking closure and what happened if things had been different um, or things had been the same, but kind of mostly just a musing of, of what ifs of life.
0: Wonderful. Amy Enriquez,
4: how about you with The Lightweight? Yes, hi. My show Lightweight, it's a solo play and it is based on my real life experience of spending a full year in a 28-day treatment center to recover from anorexia. It's a dark, dark comedy. If it would be like Girl Interrupted meets fleabag on stage. And uh, it it takes you through, you know, what it's like to spend a year in a treatment in an addiction treatment facility, being one of the only people there for an eating disorder and that that journey through mental health and addiction. And I play my narcissistic, totally bull in a china shop parents and the therapists and other patients, and just explore those relationships and how people deal with having an addict in the family. Oh. Yeah.
0: Laura Lee, how about you with, I hope I said this right, SADC 1965?
5: Yes, that's correct. So SADC 1965 is a solo storytelling show, and it's a true story. It tells the story of my um, six-week solo motorcycle trip across Vietnam, um, during which I try to make sense of my difficult relationship with my Vietnamese father, who left Vietnam in the mid-60s during the war. I like to describe the show as Motorcycle Diaries meets Eat, Pray, Love.
1: Very cool.
0: Luis Herrera, how about your show, As I Eat the World?
1: So, As I Eat the World is uh, it's a solo show, a lot of solo shows here. It's a solo show about a latin name man confronting his eating disorders and mental health by attempting to literally eat the world. And he takes us on a journey as to what brought him to this point and why this is his last and only option. Wow.
0: That sounds uh, fascinating. Wow. Rodney Brazil, how about uh, Meaningless?
6: Yes, thank you. Meaningless is a word-for-word stage adaptation of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and for those who don't know, that's a spiritual text for Judaism and as well as Christianity and I play the role of the teacher, who is this guy who comes on stage and and reflects on everything that he's learned from life, uh, for better or worse. And uh, yeah, the show is charming, and it's thought-provoking, and it can be very serious. But it's it's definitely
0: unexpected. <laughs> and that's what it is. That's amazing. Rounding us out, we've got Will Clegg and the show Syncope.
7: Yes, Syncopee is—it's uh, another solo storytelling show, very popular today. It's my personal journey, like in the style of The Moth or Snap Judgment or Risk, uh, where I tell stories about my personal journey and misadventures with uh, marijuana use and panic disorder and the hijinks that ensue.
0: Amazing. So listeners, as you can hear, we have just a wonderful myriad, a great collection of stories here that are being shared. And I want to know more. I want you all to just tell us more and dive into it. But of course, we all need to go buy our tickets first for this. I want to now dive into what message or thought are you hoping that audiences will take away from these stories? That you're telling. And if I could go ahead and start off with Will on that one, what message or thought are you hoping audiences will take away from syncope?
7: I'm trying to have like a very honest conversation about my experience with anxiety attacks and panic disorder and how I think that's kind of tied into my long-term marijuana use. And uh I just think that we talk about anxiety, but not at like a very granular level uh, granular level a lot. And so I really want to dig deep into uh what it was like for me to sort of discover that I had this disorder and how to seek treatment for it. And uh, I named the show Syncope because of two incidents where I, I passed out. And syncope is, is like a medical term for uh, losing consciousness from a low blood pressure. And so those two events are really like what uh, I guess I, I center the story around and talking about my you know discovering that I have this disorder and then seeking treatment for it and getting better.
4: Amy, what about Lightweight? with lightweight my my biggest message is is one of hope as hokey as that could sound it's addiction especially eating disorders it's it's such a mystery to so many people and and it's not talked about that much. And it's a, it's a, eating disorders, especially I, I mentioned this in the show. It's when it's the only addiction um, where if you abstain from your drug, you, you will die, you know, cause food is your drug, you know, it, with, with alcohol or, or other recreational drugs, it's ab- ab- abstain, which is so difficult. It's sometimes impossible, but You can't abstain from food, so learning to live with it. And it feels very hopeless. And I hope that people come out of of Lightweight with an understanding of this this mental disease and with hope and belief that there there is a way out, there is real-life happy endings, and also knowing that it's okay to laugh. It's okay to laugh at the dark stuff in life, because how else will we survive it? We have to have humor.
0: Marissa! What's the message or thought you're hoping audiences take away from the parentheses?
3: Yeah, I think, I hope audiences walk away. I guess it really depends on if you're a romantic or a cynic, what you walk away with. But I I do hope and I believe that the parentheses is kind of an exploration of identity, um, finding yourself and sexuality as well. I think coming to terms with your sexuality. I feel often when we talk about coming to terms with our sexuality, it can be very black or white, this or that, I'm in the closet or out. And I think some of us have maybe a little bit more cocoony kind of moments coming in and out of the closet and being sort of doors open, you're hanging out in both worlds. So I I hope that, you know, we kind of come away where audiences come away, pondering what that means, but it's not in a very heavy way. Um, I don't think it's always something that has to be. Yeah, very, very weighted, and there's a there's a brevity, I think, as well, of being in your 20s and exploring these things and finding things out about yourself, looking back on them with the benefit of hindsight and time. So I hope audiences come away reevaluating their own lives, them, th- themselves.
0: Love that, Luis. What was the message or thought you're hoping audiences take from As I Eat the World?
1: For me, because I mean, As I Eat the World is about eating disorders, but it's also about the Latinx culture. And how the Latinx culture itself doesn't necessarily acknowledge these kind of disorders or mental health issues. I'm hoping people can walk away feeling seen, feeling heard, and knowing that they aren't alone, and that these things are real. And even though sometimes it feels like there is no way out, there there's always there's always a different path. Even if the character in this particular show might not take that different path, there are ways out of it and that's what i hope people walk away from with this show especially just the being seen because that's something that i have felt a lot within the culture myself and i'm not bashing the culture i'm just trying to bring light to the purposeful ignorance
0: interesting i like that let me jump up to kelly on now kelly with thank you x what is the message or thought you hope audiences take away
2: A big one, I think, uh, self love, I hope that people walk away, um, knowing that they're more than you know, a relationship or whoever they dated. I also hope like relatability I hope people can see this and see themselves in these different stories and learn to laugh at themselves and learn to laugh at those misadventures in in dating and love and all that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors i find when it comes to like dating and relationship like everything is perfect this is so great you know yes this kiss was magical whereas like in reality it's not (laughs) a lot of a lot of things can you know, kind of blow up in your face. And I think it's just fun to like laugh at it because you can't change anything. You can't change how things went down. So just learn to find like the humor in things. And yeah.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Flora, how about you? The messenger or thought uh, you're hoping people take away from SADC 1965?
5: I really believe that we're the stories we tell ourselves. And for people like me in this show who have experienced a lot of trauma, sometimes we can get trapped in very sad stories about ourselves. What I hope people take away from my show is a blueprint to rewrite those stories. All throughout my motorcycle journey, I try to rewrite the story of who my father was, who was a very mysterious man. Rewrite the story of the trauma that I've experienced. And I talk about you know difficult things from sexual abuse to drugs and um, domestic violence but how we can turn these painful experiences into beauty. And that's my whole creative process really to tr- to use my painful life experiences to create beautiful stories of love and resilience and personal transcendence.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. And Rodney with Meaningless.
6: Yes, yes, I, I will tell you, but I also want to say since Flora just spoke, I saw her show in Atlanta. And I absolutely had those takeaways. And I highly recommend seeing her show. I'll definitely be seeing it again in New York. It's it's a beautiful show. But, you know, with my show, I really re-encountered this text of Ecclesiastes uh, a little over two years ago. And, you know, I came out as gay two decades ago. And in the meantime, you know, many, many times have had the words of the Bible, like, used against me, you know, in our in our culture that we had. And so I, I'd really separated from it and I came back and I and I found so many fascinating things in this text. And the reason I wanted to turn it into a show is because I was really blown away by some of these ideas. And I just wanted a safe space where people could come and engage with these, these reflections on the human experience without all the baggage that we have to deal with in other places and in a safe place where, where anyone can come and and take away what they want to whether whether that's something funny or something that's insightful it's really up to the audience but i just wanted to create an environment where they could come and just just experience it and so a, a text that that i really find to be amazing <laughs>
0: Interested in this because as we're listening, these are all very personal stories, and obviously you've all been on this journey for a while. What has it been like developing these these shows and these stories? And if I can go ahead and start with Amy up uh, up here with lightweight, what has it been like developing this show?
4: It's you know a lot of people ask me uh, specifically was it very cathartic, and my answer is no, it wasn't because I have thankfully been fully recovered from any eating disorder um, behavior for a decade now. So to develop the show, I I had to make sure I was in a completely healthy state of mind and body. That was my first rule. And then when I began to develop it, this was in 2018, my mother sent me all the journals and the art therapy artwork that I did while I was in the treatment center and tapping into those and reading the the journals you know flora had mentioned like we we are the stories we tell ourselves and reading the journals versus how i remembered the experience were two completely different things so that that was really really interesting but i i kind of I play myself in the show and it's my story, but I still refer to my character as Amy. Like, like I, I, I definitely separate it and just really make sure I'm putting my mental and physical health first during all of this. Yeah. It took, it took several years to, to develop it. And, um, I started working with Lauren Weedman, who is like a, a master of solo shows and she's on some really awesome TV shows right now. And, and we started working together because I had all of these real life experiences that I wanted to talk about through comedy and I just didn't know how to do it and she gave me a lot of a lot of courage and wisdom to just tell the story my way and there was no right or wrong because it's my story so it's it's been a really cool journey you know at times disturbing going back into the, that those days but I was ready I was in a really good place so developing it has been a joy and stressful but mostly joyful <laughs>
0: Laura how about you what's it been like developing Sadic 1965
5: Oh it's been quite the journey so I am I'm not really a theater person I'm a lawyer by day and just a storyteller by night and I rode that motorcycle in 2013 and I've been wanting to tell the story ever since but it took me 9 years to sit down uh, 9 years to probably process a lot of those experiences and get to a point where I felt ready to tell the story and another thing that happened was that during those nine years was that I discovered my father's love correspondence from the 60s. As you can tell from the title of the show, things happened in the 60s that will be important to the story. And it will take me five years to translate their voluminous love correspondence um, correspondence with his high school school sweetheart and the woman he left behind during the Vietnam War so with a team of 13 translators um, I got these letters translated and I read some excerpts in the show and then finally in November of last year I decided that I would write sit down and write this show I worked with a playwright um, Kathleen Ackerley in Washington DC she was more a coach than a director but she really helped me find this story through my personal experiences, and then structure that into a one-woman show. It's been a tremendous learning experience, but really, now I can say it's a joy, but it's definitely not been always easy.
7: Will, what has it been like developing syncope? I started writing these stories for The Moth uh, in 2019, actually, and not with an eye on putting them all together into a show necessarily. But uh, then I was in the Frigid Festival last year with my first solo show, and I loved it, you know, that experience. And then I also made it my business to see every other show in the festival. And I learned so much by watching all these other solo performances that by the end of the festival, I had this new spark of an idea to put together four stories that I previously performed and and tie them into a new hour. And that's that's kind of how Syncope came to be. Luis,
0: what's it been like developing
1: As I Eat the World? So as I eat the world, it's, it's an idea. I mean, I've, always, I've been wanting to write about my own experiences with the eating disorders for a while. I just didn't know how to do it. I had tried putting it into a full-length play, but it felt forced. I tried putting it into a short play, felt forced. I even put it into a pilot, a television pilot that I wrote, and that was okay. But it, it, it still didn't feel like it was what I wanted to be. And um, then I read a show by a friend of mine, Frankie, Frankie Gonzalez, called "Heart Stop," and it's a solo show of his where he attempts to actively on stage lose weight in front of an audience. And reading that kind of just shot me with inspiration because I'm like, wow, it, it felt so just raw, and I I thought to myself. I need to just be completely honest with what I'm writing, but I want to incorporate something. How do I represent this idea with something bigger than myself? And an image of literally a person or me eating the world came to mind just because I thought, what is the biggest thing that I could possibly eat that could satiate hunger? And I'm like, oh, right, the world, earth, (laughs) as absurd as that may seem. And it just kind of, it took me a while to write it. I really, I wrote it in like a week after planning it out in my head for like months. And then I just kind of wrote it all down. Then I typed it all up. And yeah, and I kind of agree with what Amy was saying. When people people have asked me the same question of, has it been cathartic? And for me, I'm like, I have the same response. I'm like, no, it hasn't been, but for a different reason. Because I myself am still going through it. It's, I don't know how to feel about it yet. (laughs) I haven't performed it yet. This would be a world premiere. Yeah, so I don't know what it's going to do to me, but I'm excited to get it out.
0: (laughs) We're excited to hear it. That's exciting. Rodney.
6: It's been an interesting journey and a very personal journey for sure. I, I premiered it last year in Atlanta. And uh, I mean, the show hasn't changed a lot because, you know, the book's 2000 years old and it's word for word. It's a it's a modern English translation. But, you know, that's pretty much set. But my connection with the show has changed substantially. And and really, after Atlanta, I went to Denver and then I I had five shows in Kansas City in the summer. And it wasn't until I got to Kansas City that I really even realized the full depth of, of what I felt about this material. You know, I had an idea. And I was connected with it already. Um, I discovered the book after my father died. And, you know, I I love spiritual texts and kind of like, you know, reading the the Nag Hammadi scriptures and all these different things. And so I kind of discovered it after my father died, but didn't really realize that that was one of the driving reasons that I was doing the show. You know, I didn't really know that that's why I had decided to kind of do this, this quirky thing. But then once I got to Kansas City and I had told the story so many times and to so many different people at that point, it really kind of clicked with me, you know, what all of all of this ancient wisdom means to me. And so that was a big breakthrough, I think, with with the show for the audience as well, because then I had, you know, I could convey uh, my connection with it on, you know, on a more uh, more honest level, I guess you could see, or in a more unguarded way. Yeah. And then I've been in a couple of other cities since then. But I'm very excited. I've never performed on stage in New York. I've only seen things, seen lots of plays in New York. And I love going to the shows downtown while I'm there. Uh, and so I'm I'm super excited to get to perform at this fest and, and sort of be a, a part of the downtown vibe for a couple of weeks. We
0: are excited to have you. Hopping up to Kelly... With thank you, X. What's it been like developing this?
2: Roller coaster, like a really big fucking roller coaster. Um, I came up with the idea in 2019. I was doing a little bit of stand up at the time and I was doing jokes about men and dating and, and all that. And I had this idea to put it into a play. And then, fast forward to a few months later, I break up with the person that I was seeing. Uh, and then we go into a pandemic. <laughs> so you know you're by yourself alone with your thoughts and then you know I kind of had this on the back burner like this idea and I thought well why don't I put these experiences into the show um and turn them into some jokes and try to like see if I can you know find some humor in this and also theater was shut down at the time so it was a lot of like I'm really excited because I'm you know got the creative juices flowing and I'm doing this and then oh fuck we're you know we're closed i can't do anything and then you know i would write and then i would get depressed and i would stop and then i would be like no no no, you got to do this and i would do it again and it was kind of like this wave and then by the time i finished it we were still um where i'm from in toronto we were still in lockdown so there was no live performances and you know i think as a performer you get really anxious when you create something you want to share it with everyone and i don't want to wait until whenever we were able to have live performances again so then I filmed it and I put it out digitally and then a year later I got to perform it live. So it's been like this roller coaster of like excitement and then like a little bit of disappointment because it, you know, wasn't in the, originally launched in the way I had, you know, hoped it would be.
0: And finally, Marissa with the parentheses. So the parentheses,
3: I wrote, I wrote it on a plane. I had, it had sort of originally been a short story and it began with this, line about the parentheses which was something that someone in a relationship said to me once many many years ago and throughout the course of our relationship the meaning of the parentheses kind of changed and I guess I started the the short story wondering, like trying to unpack that, trying to understand how I felt about it. And I had the story on a plane. It was a six hour flight. I didn't have any, you know, distractions. And I don't know, I just kind of came out and I feel it was a way that I got to process something like the act of writing the show, which was interesting. It's never been staged before. So this will be a first, the first performance. I'm very excited about that. And i the process of it has changed since I got off the the plane. Of tweeted a bit, but but I think one of the most interesting things coming out of that, I think we've a few of us have talked about catharsis. There has been some element of catharsis for me, and some element of understanding something from a different perspective. The character that I'm playing is sort of you know I maybe took the the perspective of playing the character that's not really me. So I think in some way writing the the, the two characters was an an attempt to understand what happened um, and kind of have an empathetic understanding of, I guess, the way that maybe we both treated one another. So it is a very personal show. But I also think one of the most surprising and cathartic elements for me was helping helping myself see perspective from someone else's perspective, if that makes sense. So uh, it's been a very fun process. I've had a lot of fun writing it, um, and I'm excited to, to get on stage and, and share it.
0: I love that. Well, wrapping up this first portion of the interview, I want to ask you all, who do you hope have access to your personal show? Is there a specific audience that you're hoping have access to your show? And I'd like to start with Luis on that one.
1: I mean, I guess, I mean, obviously the Latinx community, I hope could have access to the show. Also, any, to be honest, any men and women or non-binary people just experiencing eating disorders as a whole, feeling as if they can't talk about it because they'll be judged, because I feel that every day. (laughs) So I'm hoping those people can have access to it, whether it be in person or streaming. Yeah, and I hope it's just open to that kind of community. I'm showing it to my whole family, which is gonna be kind of weird and eye-opening because they don't know all of these things about me. They're gonna be like, oh, whoops so i'm I'm excited for those people to have complete access to this kind of conversation that I'm hoping to add to,
0: Marissa, how about you?
3: I hope everyone can find something from the parentheses that that speaks to them and a message to walk away with. I guess in particular, i would I would anyone that's ever had their heart broken or broken someone else's. yeah, but I do think that there's something there for everyone. It is a queer show, but i I think that the stories that we tell and the things that we explore in the parentheses really extend far beyond um, queerness, which is sort of a, you know, a very enriched experience and differs person to person at any rate. So I think everyone can find something in the show.
0: Laura Lee, how about you?
5: For me, it's anyone who has experienced trauma and is hoping to make sense of it. Anyone who's lived through hard experiences and are asking themselves a question, what am I supposed to do with this? I think they will find some guidance in the show.
7: Will, how about you? I think uh, anybody who's a fan of The Moth or Risk uh, or any kind of storytelling, true storytelling show, would like this show. And then uh, also people who have dealt with anxiety disorders and, uh, and are open to talking about it. Kelly?
2: It's a coming of age story. So I feel like hopefully anyone can relate to it. So I hope everyone comes to see it. But it's got like a 90s and Y2K sort of vibe to it because it kind of takes you back through time through Violet's, you know, growing up. So I mean, millennials definitely will relate to it. And I'm not gonna lie, I hope some fuckboys come to see the show and feel attacked.
4: Amy, what about you? My answer has really changed over time because I have been performing this show for, for a while. And uh, last this past summer, I took it to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe in in Scotland, and I performed for 26 straight days. And I always thought that the message of this show would be most relatable to those in the addiction and eating disorder um, community, whether you know, actively recovering or, or in the disease. And I thought that mostly it would be young women. And I could not have been more wrong, especially after taking it to an international audience. I have all gender identities and sexual um, identities and ages. What shocked me is how many people from the senior or elderly community have related so much to the show because they grew up in an era where you certainly never talked about this. And so I think that there's something for everyone in this show, which producers and publicists absolutely hate. They're like, no, what's a target demographic. (laughs) But I was wrong. I really thought I had a target demographic and I was so wrong, which just shows how much more we need to be educated and expand our minds about who does addiction really, you know, hit hardest and we all eat food. We all have a relationship with food and we have a relationship with our bodies. So there really truly is something in it for everybody. It's there's, it's safe. It's not fat phobic in any way at all. And um, I think pretty much everyone can get something from it. I've even had teen, like young 12 and 13 year olds at the show who, who it really impacted. So I think if you feel it, You want to see the show? It's for you. Finally, Rodney,
0: who do you hope have access to your show? You know, I hope that anybody
6: that has felt like that they've sort of been excluded from being able to engage with any kind of spiritual wisdom, people who've been pushed away or kind of told them for for whatever reason because of their, their lifestyle or whatever reason has just kind of like been excluded from going on a spiritual journey or anybody that's that's mourning a loss Um, those are the people the people who are really searching for ideas about reflections on why why life is so hard and and why life is so unfair anybody that's really like searching for answers to those i i hope that they come and uh, again you know you whether these answers are the ones you want to take away for your life that is up to you Uh, But I think it's a wonderful exploration. And and I think anybody that's asking those questions in their own life would enjoy the show.
0: In gears now, I want to give our audience a chance to get to know you all a little bit better. And I want to start by asking you the question, what shows composers or writers have inspired you in the past or are some of your favorites? And Rodney, if I can stick with you on this uh, to kick us off. You know, I really love
6: long-winded playwrights. I really love uh, to 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 dig into, you know, Eugene O'Neill or somebody that's got got a lot of things to say about about life and 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 really trying to bring complicated subjects on stage. But I'm also, you know, in addition to what I'm working on here, I'm also like I really love self-help books and I I love any kind of any kind of writer who really uses their own experience to try and help other people, you know, just share that experience to make make life easier or better or eliminate suffering for all of us. Uh, anybody that attempts to do that, whether that's on stage or through, you know, through dance or through music, uh, those are the people I'm drawn to.
7: Will, what about you? I think a really recent example uh, is Mike Verbiglia and his show The Old Man in the Pool, which just closed on Broadway, and all of his shows, really, but that one in particular, where he's talked a lot about really difficult stuff, like health problems that he'd had and, and having a small child and wanting to get better. And Uh, and sort of not knowing how to navigate that and even though i was already working on my show by the time i saw his show it just really uh inspired me to maybe push my show a little bit further and another show that has always inspired me is the storytelling show risk which uh, is hosted by kevin allison and uh they perform all over the country and a few times a year here in new york city and one of the stories in my show i developed for their show actually and just uh, listening to all the, the stories on that podcast and live show uh really pushed me to Maybe go deeper and then places that I was not necessarily comfortable in my storytelling. Uh, which I you know, I wouldn't have this show at all probably without without that show.
4: Throwing it up to Amy. I grew up in New York, like just outside the city. And so I, I've been so fortunate to be exposed to to Broadway shows, like just um school field trips. And um but the first show I ever saw it was it was off Broadway at the time, it was the Fantastics. And that show will like stay with me for it's been with me for the for my life since then. There was just something so magical and I thought, you know, oh my gosh, like I can do this. like I'm not a singer, <laughs> but it just that that show inspired me. I just wanted to get on the stage. so I'll, I'll always just have such an attachment to the fantastics as as far as performers go, my director, Lauren Weedman, um she's hosted a lot of the moth storytelling, and she's just her her storytelling and and her solo shows are just so bold. and she loves to make everyone a little bit uncomfortable. And that really inspires me because I try very hard to be nice and pleasant and good and make everyone feel really comfortable. And uh, she really inspires me to just go there. And um, uh, John Leguizamo is is really inspiring to me. I've been reading his solo works for quite some time now. Um, my husband introduced me to to him as a solo theater performer, not just the the movie star. Um, Phoebe Waller Bridge, of course, um, she started Fleabag as a one woman show at the Edinburgh. Uh, Fringe, And I got to put up my show in the same venue, which was really awesome. Again, I just like that she makes the uncomfortable, like, well, you're going to sit with this, you know, like I'm not responsible for your comfort. And Chris Gethard, I really, really enjoy. I got to see his newest piece of work at the Fringe Festival as well in, in Scotland. And I just love how how open and raw he is, Um, kind of like Mike Berbiglia, bur- with mental health and depression and, and suicidal ideation and now being a father and 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 how he's balancing all of that i just those are some storytellers that i i just admire so much and have absolutely inspired me to get out of the comfort zone and and tell the truth over to kelly
2: so i feel like modern theater and modern musicals are a big influence for me because i love comedy i grew up thinking that theater was just super boring um, it wasn't really my jam, and then Wicked was a really big game changer for me. And then I that opened up the doors to so many more uh, modern musicals like Legally Blonde, and I was like, oh, like theater can be fun, and you can be funny. So you know, that's kind of how like I fell in love with theater. And then personally, I love solo shows. I saw my first solo show like maybe about eight years ago, and it was just like a like a theater pier that had a show, and I went to go see it, and. I was just like so amazed and that kind of inspired me. And I thought like, you know, one day I want to do a solo show. And a few years ago, my dramaturg, Hoolz K, did a solo show for Toronto Fringe. And I was like, okay, this is it. I want I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm going to write my I'm going to write my own show. So uh, solo performances inspire me so, so much because it's just so incredible. And my director, Maddie Rose, is an incredible writer. So she inspires me every day.
0: Marissa. How about you?
3: Let's see. I really, the parentheses is a two person show and I have a soft spot for two, two people shows. And I also love when sort of nothing happens. I'm not very good at writing plot, <laughs> turns out. But I would say some pieces maybe that stuck with me or shaped, shaped who I am as a writer. Waiting for Godot. I really, I know this is not a playwright, but Link Ladder's work. I think the before trilogy, I really love this just kind of years over year, pondering what ifs, closure sort of thing. I recently saw Jacqueline Novak's Get on Your Knees, which I highly recommend. It was very hilarious. And I think very similar to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I love this kind of hilarious force you to sit in your seat and listen and think about things and laugh and laugh about things that you don't normally laugh about in public with you know 100 other people around you. And I love finding the humor and um painful situations. Uh, yes, I also saw also known as Daniel Meyer. That was a really wonderful piece that I think it does a beautiful job of exploring identity and kind of when you're stuck in between two places and code switching and things like that. Lots of lots of amazing amazing pieces have, have shaped have shaped me in my writing.
1: Love it. Luis passing it over to you. I I started reading Eric Bogosian's work in High school, and that's some stuff that kind of threw me into the extreme side of what theater could be. Someone could write the most bold, people still want to see it, and that definitely kind of propelled me forward into wanting to do that kind of work on stage. And same with I started reading John the Bazama at the same time. I didn't really write, start writing this. I didn't think about solo shows at all and so like college because I was also inspired by the works of Andy Baker. And like um, Marissa was saying, I too am not a huge fan of writing plots. I enjoy writing people just talking just to see who they are and where they come from. But in my undergrad, the thesis project for seniors was to write, perform, and direct a solo show. So that kind of propelled me towards this kind of genre and reading those kind of works of Ecclesi. And I've never seen a professional Solo show. I've only seen solo shows from peers in my class. I've, I've performed a few, uh, written some for some other people, but I've never seen a professional one. But that's the kind of work that kind of propelled me forward, right? The Andy Bakers, the Eric Fugosian, and John Leguizamo, and kind of fusing those into what I hope is this show, As I Eat the World.
0: And uh, wrapping us up there, Flora Lee.
5: Well, one of my theatre heroes is actually a Canadian playwright from my hometown of Quebec City, but he did end up becoming internationally renowned. His name is Robert Lepage. He's best known for having created some of the Cirque du Soleil shows, but actually his, his plays are magnificent. And I've seen him, He and he would write and perform solo plays back in the 80s and 90s, I think, before, I don't know, before at least I was aware that solo plays were such a thing. His plays like The Anderson Project and The Far Side of the Moon, I mean, it is not only a, an absolute solo performance, there's integration of multimedia that is that will blow your mind. So Hobel Lepesh has really been my hero since... I was very little and I have this dream that one day I'll get to meet him. And more recently, if you haven't um, seen the solo play, The Encounter by Simon McBurney, it's the best movie I've seen. I mean, it is a solo play. There's nothing like it. Simon McBurney is um, the playwright and actor and director in, in England. And it's available for free on Vimeo. And what is interesting about the play is not just the story. It's the story of um, a photographer from the National Geographic getting lost in the Amazon in the late 60s and encountering a native tribe and having having this encounter change his life, especially in terms of his conception of human consciousness. But most interestingly, Simon McBurney integrates cutting edge sound engineering and technology in that solo play. So if you haven't watched that, The Encounter available for free on Vimeo, it is the gold standard of of solo play, I think. So those are my, my inspirations for sure.
0: We've arrived now as we wrap up at my favorite question to ask guests, and I'm excited to hear all of yours. And it's, what is your favorite theater memory? Give you all just a second to think about that. And I'm gonna start with
4: mm, Amy. Oh, I already blew this question by saying it already. But the answer <laughs> it was seeing the fantastics. My favorite theater memory. Uh so I must have been, gosh, you know, in, in the first or second grade, maybe, um, maybe third, as and going to, you know, taking the yellow public school bus into the city and and seeing the Fantastics and remembering very specifically not fully watching what was on stage because I kept looking, trying to see into the wings and I was looking at the lights and I was looking at the tech booth and I was looking at the faces of the other audience members. And that is when I knew how impactful live theater experiences can be. I wanted to see everything that was happening to make what we saw on the stage appear and so um the, that memory to me is like that's when i knew that that's where i wanted to be and what i wanted to do it just it's and i just saw the fantastics again a few years like right before the pandemic i live in los angeles now it was at the pasadena playhouse and i was like oh my gosh it's it's as good as it was when i was a child it just <laughs> makes me so happy
0: <laughs> laura how about you
5: I will say, when I was in college, I volunteered at the student newspaper. Um, I was going at McGill University in Montreal. And Montreal has a thriving performing arts scene and a lot of independent theater. And the newspaper, the student newspaper, we'd get free tickets to everything. So for about two years of my college years, I saw theater, ballet, opera every week, of the school year and that is by far my, my favorite memory. And I've I, i I've seen a wide array of things and things that were very experimental. And I think it has populated my, my kind of my mental map of performing arts and my taste. And I think right then I knew I wanted to be part of that scene. It, it would take me 20 years to get there, but that's my favorite memory.
0: Rodney, what about you? My favorite theater memory
6: was uh, some friends from different cities around the United States a few years ago had all come to New York City to see Bette Midler and Hello, Dolly. We we saw other shows as well, but, but essentially everybody got together. The occasion for this trip is we all wanted to see Hello, Dolly. It was still in previews. Uh, but we got tickets and, and, and everybody kind of flew in and, and, you know, we're, we're there. The tickets were super expensive and, you know, act one had started and all of a sudden like Bette Midler has this coughing fit on stage and, and like the show stops and like, she couldn't stop coughing. She couldn't stop coughing. And, and, the, and everybody was sort of concerned that, you know, the show was, you know, go, you know going to, to stop or be canceled, you know, because it went on for several minutes. And then uh, the actor, I can't remember his name, but that played Cornelius, he sort of waltzes out onto the stage with a cough drop and hands it to Bette Midler. And she takes the cough drop and she laughs and everybody's sort of like on edge. And then all of a sudden she stops coughing and the show goes on and the crowd like cheered because we were so glad that she was able to overcome her coughing fit and we were going to get to finish seeing the show. So that that's my that's my favorite moment.
0: I love that.
1: Luis, what is your favorite theater memory? I think 2011, 2012. I went to New York and I saw for the first time uh, Sleep No More. And um, in watching Sleep No More, I, hadn't, I, I knew about immersive theater and I had, I had seen it, but I didn't know it could be like that. I truly did not. That changed my entire perception of what theater can be and is. And it's almost unfair to anything else I experienced in South Florida specifically, which is cause like whenever South Florida tries to do like immersive theater, that's where I live, I live in South Florida. Um, whenever they try to do immersive theater, I'm like, oh, that's cool, but it's not as good as sleep no more. It's my like immediate like thought, which is unfair and I recognize that, but that truly changed my perception of it. And since then I've seen it like four times. Every time I like just save up and scrounge up money and I'm like, all right, I'm going. Because each each time I've never seen the same show, and that's it's it's stuck with me, and that's what I always hope for for theater, which is never the same experience, even if it is the same show. Yeah.
7: Will, what is your favorite theater memory? Uh, I was kind of tricked into being in the musical Oklahoma when I was in the tenth grade by my English teacher, and one of the conditions for me being in it was that I would not have to sing or dance, and I held to that very steadfastly, even though I was playing the main villain in the show, Judd. And uh, opening night, when it got to the first scene where I was supposed to sing, I was just doing this sort of like speech, you know, like uh, instead of singing, I would just say the words. We're doing the Rex Harrington uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. But then when it came for me, time for me to do my part, I, I actually just just sang it and on key. And much to the surprise of the musical director and my co-star and the audience and even myself. And I, I was hooked on theater ever since that moment. Yes.
0: Marissa. Your favorite theater memory? Um, What jumped out to me was
3: I performed as one of the clowns in The 39 Steps, which is a show that has four actors, Two of the clowns play like 40 different characters. So you're just running around. It's a it's a show that to me really celebrates the beauty of how much you can do in theater with so little. And after one of the performances, oh, um, a woman came up to me and, and she said that she was laughing so much that she peed her pants. And I don't, it always just like, it, it fills me with so much joy when I think, I mean, it was 15 years ago, but I still, I don't know. I just remember her face and how gleeful she was i mean she was giddy still um and it just i don't know for me it's there's nothing there's nothing that i've ever experienced in life quite like the satisfaction of laughter on stage it's just such a i don't know it's primal which maybe sounds uh, a bit strange but it's just like the the most beautiful sound in the world um so for me that was a core theater memory of woman peeing her pants
2: <laughs> rounding us out kelly My favorite theater memory was my first summer doing theater and i remember that i had just gotten fired from my quote unquote dream job and it was being a full-time theme park actor because it's good to aim high (laughs) y'all and i had quit my job and i quit my agent because i'm like (laughs) i'm a theme park actor so um got fired from that was unemployed and you know everybody like i was doing a little bit of pursuing film a little bit more at that time so everything was casted there wasn't any work and you know i think as a creative like you have this addiction to keep going and keep performing and keep doing things so the only things that were available was theater so i kept auditioning until my very last show that i said like okay i'm done if i don't get this and it was a play called five women wearing the same dress and alan ball wrote it and it was it kind of reminded me a little bit of like the pink ladies from greece like in the sleepover sort of scene and it was so fun and so funny. And I had no idea that theater could be this funny. And I met so many amazing people and it was part of this little theater group uh, that they just kind of put on productions in the summer. So it was almost like the same ensemble throughout the whole summer. And I did several shows with that company. And I kind of felt like a little kid at summer camp. You know, you you just don't want to leave. You just don't want the summer to end. And it was just the most amazing summer of, you know, my of my 20s not of my life but of my 20s and it was still so memorable and it was the summer where I really fell in love with theater and I was just like okay this is where I fit in this is like you know who I am
0: oh I love that thank you all for sharing those amazing stories as we wrap things up I want to ask are there any productions or projects that any of you have
7: coming down the pipeline
0: will what projects or uh, productions do you have coming down the pipeline
7: uh, so I actually host and produce a monthly show with Frigid New York at the Under St. Mark's Theater. Uh, it's called Awkward Teenage Years. And we it's, it's true storytelling uh, about exactly what you would think based on the title. Uh, all the stories just have to be between the ages of 13 and 19. And uh, we usually do it the first Wednesday of every month, although in March, it'll be the second Wednesday because of the Frigid Festival. Kelly...
2: I mean, it's not before Frigid, but after Frigid, I'll be going to Orlando for Orlando Fringe in May. So if you want to uh, take a road trip with me and come, if you you see it in New York and you love it so much and you want to come to Orlando or you miss it, come to Orlando and see it and then go to Disney World after.
0: Amy?
4: Uh, Well, I I just wrapped up another Los Angeles run of Lightweight to try out a few new things before coming back to New York, but I'm in the land of film and television out here so i work on the soap opera the young and the restless and Mm -hmm. you can see an episode on february 2nd i don't know when this episode's dropping when this podcast will drop but i play a uh, waitress in their like high-end restaurant what else i'm a i'm a professional puppeteer as well and i i am trained with the jim henson company um out here in los angeles (laughs) yeah Huge puppet nerd. Um, and I just puppeteered on a, a new Amazon film called Musica. Um, I don't know when that will be released. But um, yeah, so th- those are the projects I have in the pipeline.
1: Luis? I think this is, I mean, I applied for Atlanta Fringe, but that's about it. Because I, I teach currently, and I'm directing two different shows at two different high schools, uh, both kind of ambitious shows. But one of them being 365 Days, 365 Plays by Susan Lori Parks, and the other one being complete works of Shakespeare abridged but honestly this is like a big focus this show and hopefully I get to Atlanta fringe with it and uh, hopefully I also applied with it um, for the for Ant Fest about Ars Nova so hopefully I get to take it there too so we'll see.
5: Flora Lee? Uh, this is my second summer touring with my show. I did seven cities last summer. I have so I'll be touring um, from May onward, May to September, mostly in Canada this year. After Frigid, I'll be in San Diego, and then I'll do uh, basically East Coast to West Coast in Canada. And uh, in addition to that, I uh, have been convinced to try to write um, Sadek as a full-length novel. And I'm currently in Germany, uh, hiding in a, in a house in the countryside of Germany, writing SEDIC as a book. So stay tuned. Maybe we'll have a manuscript by the end, uh, by spring. Marissa the fr- the Frigid Festival is 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 um
3: right now all that's in the works so soft plug opening night February sixteenth eight fifty p.m. at the Crane but yeah we'll see we'll see what happens after after the Frigid Festival but I'm very excited to um to premiere this show
0: and Rodney
6: yes so definitely continuing to try and get uh, more bookings for Meaningless uh, I have a lot of things that are maybes but nothing to announce just yet. And then I'm working on two other scripts. One of, you know, one of is kind of in the first stages, but the other one is a two-person show. I saw this really amazing two-person show when I was in Omaha this year, and it inspired me to cut. And it was about two friends that were sort of at a crossroads in their friendship. Uh, and so I'm going to write my version of two friends at a crossroads uh, for my husband and and another actress that I've worked with a lot, and it's the story of two actors that have been in a long running professional show. They've they've been there for their throughout their twenties and their thirties, and now the show is closing, and and they're looking forward about uh, to what's going to happen next. Um, and I'm hoping to get a booking for that. I, I'm working on getting that booked for uh, uh, five shows this summer. So, so follow, follow me on Instagram and maybe you'll see an announcement about that soon.
0: Hey, what a great lead into my final question, which is if our listeners want more information about you or your show, or they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? And I'm going to start with Kelly.
2: You can follow me on all forms of social media at it's Kelly Taylor. I'm on Twitter, not as much, but uh, Instagram is my main platform and a little bit of TikTok.
0: Marissa, how about you?
3: Great question. I'm so glad you asked. I am reachable on email. Well, we have, there's a ticket link on the Frigid Festival Um, on Instagram, Marissa Fleming, but "flem" like the stuff that you cough up. So yes.
4: Amy, what about you? Um, My main platform, I'm on all of them, but my main one is Instagram, which is at lightweight underscore show. And you can also go to lightweightshow.com and that will have links to email and for all of the social media platforms. Flora?
5: Yes, you can find my website, sadek1965.com and I'm on all social media. Just use the handle at sadic 1965 Louise?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at fullsizedlewis. That's a full story in itself. But yeah, at Full Size Lewis, where you could find my website, my Twitch page, a podcast that I put up a while ago, and anything else. Yeah, Rodney.
6: Yes, my website is meaningless.live. dot live, and uh, my Instagram. I have two Instagrams. You know, one is uh, at What Is the Next Stage, uh, which is sort of my like little theater brand that I use for the things that I produce, and then also I'm at All That Brass.
7: And Will. Uh, The best place to find me is probably my website, willclegg.com, C-L-E-G-G. And uh, there are links to both my solo shows there and all of my socials. My guests today have been seven of the performers
0: at the Frigid Fringe Festival. Kelly Taylor, who's the writer-performer of Thank You X. Marissa Fleming, the writer-performer of The Parentheses. Amy Enriquez, the writer-performer of Lightweight. Laura Lee, the writer-performer of Sadic 1965, Luis Herrera, writer-performer of As I Eat the World, Rodney Brazil, writer-performer of Meaningless, and Will Clegg, the writer-performer of Syncope. We have all of the information of how to get a hold of them and follow them that we're going to be posting on our episode details as well as on our social media. And the 17th annual Frigid Fringe Festival, which is being presented by Frigid NYC, is running uh, February 15th through March 5th at the Crane Theater and under St. Mark's. And you can get your tickets and more information at frigid.nyc. Everyone, thank you so, so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute honor speaking with you. I'm so excited to see everyone's show and to see all of the success that comes from it. Thank you guys.